seven. It's a real good surprise to see Luis Castillo here tonight. Glad to have him here in our service. Praise God. Sure good to see Sister Robin here. From 2 Kings chapter 7. One verse. Verse 9. Then they said one to another. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Let me read it again to you. And they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you are here tonight. And we thank you that we can be here tonight. In the house of the Lord, the house of God, the house of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. And this verse that we have just read. And all that the Holy Ghost will overshadow us tonight. And help us in this moment of time. Give us understanding, Lord. Quicken us with divine illumination. Help us to be whole and help us to be motivated and to do the will of God in these challenging times that we live in. Living in this world, but Lord, not being a part of this organized world of unrighteousness. Deliver us, Lord, from every perverse way in this generation. Deliver us from the crookedness of this generation. Deliver us, Lord God, from this generation that has lost its way. Oh, God, we ask it with all manner of thanksgiving. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. These fellows, these fellows said... We're talking to each other and they said, we, we don't do well. We're not doing well. This is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. They said, this isn't well. This is not well. A day of good tidings and we hold our peace. I would like tonight on the subject a frightening place to dwell in. A frightening place to dwell in. 
It is real good for us to have serious need. It is real good for us to have serious need. Especially if it drives you to prayer. It's real good to have serious financial difficulties. If it will cause you to seek God. It is real good for us to have serious physical problems if it will cause us to call on Jesus. The danger comes when everything's okay. When everything is fine, everything is well, there's no financial problems, no financial difficulties. We're in health. We're in strength. The bills are being paid. We've got food in the closet, in the cabinets. Everything's fine. That is a frightening place to be in. If you don't walk with God. Prosperity is the cradle that has rocked the church to sleep. Prosperity is the cradle that has rocked the church to sleep. Prosperity is the cradle that has rocked many saints to sleep. Materialism has rocked many a one-time red-hot Christian to sleep. It's a frightening place to be in. It's a frightening place to dwell. These men looked at each other and they said, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. It's a frightening thing. It's a sad thing. It's a despicable thing. Right. Amen. Everything's well. And we hold our peace. A frightening place to dwell in. Amen. I know this is paradoxical. I know this is strange. I know this is contrary to human reasoning. But I'm right on target when it comes to the matters of spirituality and I walk with God. It's a frightening place to dwell in when everything is okay. Let me give you a little background to this. Syria, apparently under the leadership of their king, Ben-Hadad, had declared war with Israel. And King Ben-Hadad told his men where he was going to camp as he warred against Israel. But in Israel was a prophet 
whose name was Elisha. All right. And God talked to that man. God let that man in on secrets. And God spoke to Elisha and told Elisha to tell the king of Israel, don't go camp down there because King Ben-Hadad of Syria is camping down there. And so Elisha notified the king of Israel what God had said. And the king of Israel sent a messenger down to that spot to see if this was really the case. And lo and behold, the king of Syria was down there. And the king of Israel wasn't delivered one time nor twice from this situation. But the Bible implies he was delivered more than twice from the hands of the king of Syria through the goodness of God in having a prophet in Israel who could hear from God and would give the king of Israel a word from the Lord. I like that. That's inspiring. And so Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, in his disgust, in his frustration, he called his men together and he said, I want to know which one of you is a traitor. Who among you is squealing? Who's telling the king of Israel where I'm camped at? And some of his very earnest and conscientious men spoke up and said, It's none of us. We're not guilty, O King Ben-Hadad, but there is a prophet in Israel, and his name is, is, is uh, Elisha. And hey, King Ben-Hadad, he knows what you talk about in your bedroom. King Ben-Hadad, he said, I want you to find out where he's at. I want to go get this guy. Well, they found out where he was living. They found out where Elisha lived. He lived 10 miles north of the capital city of Samaria. He wasn't living in the big hustle and bustle of Samaritan city life. I like that. I like that. King Ben-Hadad and his army made their way to the little town of Dothan. And early in the morning, Elisha's servant crawled out of bed and walked outside and saw a sight. The army of Syria was camped all around that little town of Dothan. And Elisha's servant come back inside that house, his eyes about to fall out of their sockets. He looked at the man of God and he said, What are we going to do? The enemy is all around the 
city. Good problems. And Elisha, with strong confidence, with strong faith in him that he had not seen, he looked at his servant. He said, don't worry. They that are with us are more than they that be with them. Oh, we need to believe that. We need to believe that in our hearts. They that be for us are more than be with them. Oh, yeah. Hey, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Those that be for us are more than they that be for them. <laughs> and I can see that bug-eyed servant standing there in the presence of his master saying, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Elisha prayed a simple little prayer. And he said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And God did something to the servant. Because when he stepped outside again and looked, all up in the hills, in all the hills surrounding Dothan, there was chariots of fire and horses of fire. It was representative of the God that was with that prophet inside that house. That's what you call seeing the unseen. Too many, too many times our faith is restricted by what we see. Too many times our faith is predicated on what our eyes are looking at. When we need to look at what we don't see. Looking at the unseen. All with our eyes upon our God whom we've never seen. Hallelujah. It's good to have troubles. It's good to have overwhelming problems. It'll make you pray. It'll make you look for God. It'll make you cast your eyes upon the Savior. That servant probably came back into Elisha's house feeling strong, confident. Wow, what I saw just a moment ago far exceeds what I saw the first time. Do you know what? And I know this isn't going to do anything to you. But I want to tell you all something. If we could see tonight what's in the spirit world right here in this sanctuary, we'd probably be on our knees in worship under the Most High. 
And I'm not just merely saying words. That is the truth. The angels of God are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. So it says in this book of Hebrews, there are angels in this house tonight. The angels of the Lord are in this place. The angels of the Lord are beholding our worship and our devotion and all that's going on in this house. Hallelujah! 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 From Granite City, Illinois. Brother Reeves pastors right across the Mississippi River on the Illinois side. He's pastored there for many, 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 many years. But that man has seen angels with his eyes come into that sanctuary. He has seen that happen many times. And they're tall. And he said, it seems as though when they come into that service, they pay little attention to what's going on until the word is started to be preached. And then they come to attention when this word is preached. They don't sleep in church. They don't write notes in church when the preaching's going on. They're not laughing at one another while the preaching is going on. Amen. They come to attention while the word is being preached. And we need to come to attention while the word is being preached. Every young person in this house needs to come to attention while the word of God is being preached. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, bless the name of the Lord. Hey, we're dealing with eternal values. We're dealing with the spoken eternal word of God that's forever settled, unchanging, changeless in a society that everything is changing in. But not this Bible. I said, not this Bible. Elisha prayed another prayer. Now he just prayed for his servant that God would open his eyes so he could see what was in the foothills. And God opened his eyes and he saw. Fiery chariots, fiery horses. God was in that place. The little town of Dolphin. Just the little town of Dolphin. Ten miles north of Samaria, the capital city of Israel. God was all around that place. Elisha prayed again. And this time he prayed for the Syrian host. 
He said, Lord, would you blind their eyes? Just blind their eyes. And God did just that. And Elisha stepped outside. And he hollered at him. This is not the place. This is not the city. Follow me. I will take you to the man you're looking for. They were looking for Elisha. And do you know that Syrian army went on a blind date? <laughs> and followed that prophet of God for 10 miles to the capital city of Samaria? And when he got them inside the city, a city with walls, a walled city when he got them inside the city he prayed again and said Lord would you open their eyes and let them see and boy their blind date turned into reality and the king of Israel was excited he looked at Elisha and he said, My father, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? And Elisha said, No, you don't kill prisoners of war. Yeah, it's in your book. Yeah. Well, what will I do with him? Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. And he set a spread before them in the capital city of Samaria. The king of Israel fed those fellas and dined those fellas. And he said to Elisha, now what? Elisha said, send them home. Send them back to their master." King Ben-Hadad should have been mighty happy to have those guys back. He ought to have been thrilled out of his socks to think the king of Israel didn't kill them and uh, subtract from his army a good number of officers and soldiers. But he sent them home to their master, the king of Syria. And you know what? That old boy had no gratitude. There was no thanksgiving in King Ben-Hadad. None at all. You know why? He turned right around and came down to Samaria and besieged it. And you know, I've lived long enough to know that happens in the church. You can help some people 
and help them and help them and they'll turn right around and fight you again. Knife you. With no sense of gratitude, with no serious thanksgiving, but just take it for granted as though we owed it to them. Ben-Hadad was blessed. A heathen king. A king who did not know Jehovah. But by now, he ought to have recognized Jehovah was in Israel. Jehovah had a man of God there. The man of God told the truth. And the man of God told the Israeli king, let them go after you fed them good and send them back to their master. King Ben-Hadad should have been mighty glad to have had them all back. And in his heart he should have said, I don't think we better fool with that bunch down there, down south, a little more, because there's something going on with that bunch. A little different to everybody else. But your Bible says he went to war with Israel again. Ben-Hadad besieged Samaria, the capital city of Israel, with all of its walls around it. He besieged the city. Now look at the picture. The king of Israel has just fed the army that was down there from Syria with a scrumptious meal. And the king of Syria comes back down and besieges Samaria and was there so long till it forced a famine. A political famine by force. It was not God sent. It was not the judgment of God. It was a political thing that seems to be what happened in Ethiopia with the communist politicians who forced a famine and a drought on that country. But look at the revival that took place. I said, look at the revival that has taken place in Ethiopia. God has used it for his glory, his benefit, and the salvation of thousands and thousands of Ethiopian people. But it was political motivated. And here, the king of Syria... Ben-Hadad by name has come down with his armies. He has made it way down into Israel to Samaria, the capital city. Look at it on a map and see how far he traveled from the north to get down to the capital city. I don't know how he got in there, but he did. With his armies, surrounded the capital city with its walls and its big gates, surrounded it. Hey, there was no exchange of commerce. There was no exchange of trade. They couldn't go out of the city and nobody could come in. What happened? It was a forced famine. Where was God? He was right there. Now remember, just a few days before, the king of Israel has fed that Syrian army with a fantastic meal and turned around at Elijah's, Elisha's command and sent them back north to their commanding officer. But now 
They're in a forced famine to the point that a donkey's head they're eating donkey's heads and a donkey's head was selling for fifty dollars. Wonder how many donkeys they had in Samaria and how long the supply lasted. And every day that it diminished, the price went up. Not only were they selling donkeys' heads for $50 a head, but they were selling a pint of dove's dung for $3 a pint. Oh, well, Pastor King, you shouldn't be talking like that in church. This is what the book says. You know why you would criticize me for talking like this? Because you've never been in a famine. Amen. You don't know and I don't know what it is to really be hungry. Starving to death. There's nobody in this house I don't suppose that really knows what all that's about except maybe Brother Vendell and his family. And I don't know what all they went through in Hungary before they got out of there in that communistic regime. But none of us Americans really know what it is to be hungry. Not like that. You've got money, but you can't buy food. Why? No food to buy. What good is money if you can't buy food? What's it going to be like during the time of the Antichrist? When you can't buy or sell, even though you got the bucks, unless you take his mark, either in your right hand or in your forehead. And if you take it, it's all over for you. It's over. I don't care if you're a billionaire like Ross Perot. I don't care if you're a millionaire like whoever else. Money won't do you a bit of good if you can't buy and sell without taking the mark of the beast. Think about it. Think about it. Donkey's head for $50. Pint of dove's dung for $3. But folks, it got worse. One day some women noticed the king walking on the city wall. The king of Israel. He's marching around on the wall. And one of the ladies cried out to him, Oh, king! And there was such desperation in her. In her cry. And he looked down at her and he said, What's your problem? We need food! We gotta have food! She cried out. She said, King! This lady, she and I agreed that we would cook my son and eat him first and the next day we would cook hers and eat him. And with a broken heart, and a broken spirit. She looks at that king and she says, We cooked my son and we ate him. But now she's hid her son and she won't cook him 
so we can eat him and live. It is the farthest thing from our wildest imagination to think you could reach a place about food where you'd actually cook your children. The biggest drive in human nature is survival. And people will do anything to survive. It's the biggest drive in your makeup. And you just don't know what you'll do till you get put in that place. And it got so bad they were eating their kids. This was a form of abortion. For what purpose? To satisfy lust. Yes, to satisfy lust. Why are we having the abortion problem that is sanctified by government and justified by the Med American Medical Association? Why are we having it like we're having it? To satisfy lust. And we're aborting our children just like they aborted theirs. To satisfy lust. If lust wasn't in it, we'd have no problem. They don't deal with the lust issue. It's sin. It's wrong. It's to be controlled by marriage. And marriage only. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. That's what that Bible tells us. Amen, amen, amen. We're living in a generation where folks are so used to people living together. A man and a woman just living together. It's acceptable. Society says it's okay. And that thinking rubs off on your conscience and affects your thinking. And if you don't get that book in your think tank, you will start thinking and feeling just like they think and feel. And the first thing you know, you're going right along with their style. But it's still S-I-N. It's still W-R-O-N-G. God says it's sin. Sin, sin, sin. And if lust wasn't the bottom line, we wouldn't have a problem with abortion in America. But lust is the bottom line. And God deals with it in this Bible. They were baking and boiling and cooking their own children to satisfy human lust. Well, pastor is... Is an appetite lust? 
Can ducks swim? Do dogs have fleas? Do skunks stink? An appetite can be a lust. Out of control. No control. No discipline to the appetite. And look at America. We got a lot of folks who've lost control of their appetites. A lot of folks who have no control over their appetites. You know what's down beneath all of that? Rebellion. Where'd you get that? I got it in here. I read it in the book of Deuteronomy. Underneath all of that is rebellion. Can't control their spirit. Therefore, they can't control their eating habits. They can't control their drinking habits. Why, we've got a drunken problem in America? Because the bottom line is rebellion. Oh, I'm on target tonight. I'm on target tonight. The Word of God will vindicate what I'm telling you. We just don't see these things on the surface, but they're still there. They're the bottom line. They're the undercurrent that flows and motivates people to do what they're doing. King yelled back at that woman, What do you want me to do? He's uptight, frustrated, forced famine inside the city, can't get outside the city gates to buy any food or trade for any or let any food come in because the king of Syria has his army all around Samaria and nobody dare open the gates. You just give that some serious thought. That's a real problem. And it used to happen quite often. Yeah. You know while that king was up there walking around on that wall, he tore his clothes. He ripped his clothes and he exposed the sackcloth that was under his garments and the people were shocked the king is wearing sackcloth sackcloth was made out of goat's hair and any time they wore it be it king prophet or people it indicated sorrow it always meant repentance. It could mean protest. It could mean subjection. Sackcloth. And the king of Israel had ripped his garments and there he was in sackcloth. Why? This is a crucial crucial moment in our history. He's the guy. He's the king that had just a little while before listened to Elisha. 
when Elisha told him, don't kill those guys, feed them and send them home. This is the king. But now it's different. He's walking around the wall. He's wearing his sackcloth. It's a time of sorrow, repentance, grief, protest. And he's angry. And he said, God being my helper, if by this time tomorrow I don't murder Elisha, it's his fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's the man of God's fault. I'm going to get him. Why? What'd he do if he'd have let the king of Israel kill him a few days before? They might not have been back. It's Elijah's fault. It is so amazing to me how soon some people forget the blessings of God. It's so amazing to me how quick some people forgot or forget what God did through the man of God. It's so amazing to me as a pastor how some people can sing your praises one week and the next week they're ready to kill you. Because you don't think like they think when they're supposed to think like you think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you go talk to somebody about a little problem they say, well, I'll pray about it. What you gonna pray about? It's wrong. No need to pray. Change. Well, amen. I've had them look me in the face with an obstinacy and say, well, I'll pray about it. Well, bless your sweet dear little heart. What you gonna pray about? Are you deceived? This is Sunday night. Hallelujah. It's Elijah's fault. If he would have let me kill them weeks ago, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in now. But God was in it all. You know where Elisha was when all this was happening? He was back up north at Dothan, 10 miles north. His little old home up there. Who's up there with him? The elders in Israel. The elders in Israel are up at the prophet's house. They're having a meeting up there. I don't know whether it's camp meeting or conference. or, But it's 10 miles north of Samaria. And the king of Israel knew where he was at. And the king of Israel sent a messenger up to Elisha's house. Because he was going to get the prophet. Elisha sitting at the big conference table. With all the fathers in Israel. He said, uh, brethren, I want to tell you a little secret. that murderer down in Samaria 
he's the son of a murderer. He's going to send a messenger up here to get me. When he comes, just hold him at the door. Don't let him in the house. And the guy was on his way. I mean, Elisha hardly got the words out of his mouth till there was a rap on the door and there he stood. And you know what he said to those fathers of Israel? This evil is from God. Why should we wait any longer? In other words, it's time for us to get up and do something. We're not going to wait on God. It's so amazing how quick folks can change from the blessings and seeing God at work down here to where they're having a fit because things aren't going just like they want it to go. I don't know who all I'm preaching to here tonight, but I'm telling you what, some of us in our walk, our walk is just like the pendulum on a clock. Bing, 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 bing. Victory, defeat. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Wonderful Savior. Oh, I know it. I know it. Some people, and you're not going to like me for this, and that's okay. I, all I have to do is look at some people's faces and I can tell you where they're at. They don't have to say a word. In fact, it'd be better for them not to sometimes. <laughs> they have never learned in their walk with God to discipline their emotions to where there's an even keel with their emotions in the high times and in the low times but there's an even keel in their emotions hallelujah hallelujah some folks walk into the house of God they look like a summer day with blue sky and the sun is shining and it's 72 degrees wow other times they walk in and it looks like an Oklahoma tornado is about ready to come rumbling through the country just look at their face look at their countenance when God has got a will for us to learn how to just be constant. Just be constant. Just be constant. Just be great. You are great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That messenger from the king of Israel walked in there or stood at the door and out of his heart he said, this evil is from God. Why should we wait any longer? Man, what a foolish statement. If you know it's from God, he should have backed off and humbled his heart and gone back up the road to his king. 
and said, O king, this is from God. We better humble ourselves. We better repent. We better watch our attitudes. We better watch our attitudes lest a worse thing happen. You know that guy was at the door and the king was on his way? Elisha prophesied. Elisha gave a word from the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. What? In the gate of this city? with its walls and the gates are all shut and the Syrian army is camped around here. What? Tomorrow about this 24 hours later you mean we're going to have uh, sales going on here? Mm-hmm. One of the king of Israel's lords upon whom he leaned said why? Why? Well, it can't be. If God himself will open a window in heaven, it'd never be. And the unbelief come belching out of his system. You all hear me tonight. We need to be careful how we talk to one another. Lest God pick up on your words and cause you to eat your words. We need to talk faith and encouragement and building up and don't talk doubt and unbelief not to anybody amen yes 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 and I mean something came all over Elisha and he prophesied again and he he said to that man he said fellow I want to tell you something you're going to see it but you won't get to eat any of it You read the record. It happened. They tramped him to death. The next day. At that time. God can do anything. Anything. But we professional Pentecostals who have our Pentecostal rosaries. We limit him with our unbelief and don't think he's capable of handling this and don't think he's capable of handling that. We don't think he's capable of intervening in this. It's because we don't try. And it's sure getting quiet in this house. But I'm right on target, church. We've got our Pentecostal rosaries, if you please. And we limit the Holy One of Israel. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You might as well say amen because I know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, in the gate, in one of those gates of Samaria that was besieged by the Syrians, there was four men 
lepers. We don't know what they looked like. Maybe their nose was gone from leprosy. Maybe their fingers were eaten off because of leprosy. The odor, the stench, and to realize they're outcast from society. They're sitting in the gate of the city of Samaria. And they just start talking to each other. Amen. Reasoning. You know, if we sit here, we're going to die. There's no food. We're sick men. We've got leprosy. If we go on into town, we're going to die. There's no food here. Why don't we get up and let's go over to the camp of Syria? It just might be they'll have mercy on us. And if they don't, we're just going to die anyway. It doesn't matter which way we go, we're going to die. It's a pretty hopeless cause. So the best thing to do is not just sit here and die. Let's get up and risk this situation. Let's just take a little risk. Let's try something. Who knows what could happen if we might just exercise a little risk. And as Martin Luther said, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther the white man said, faith without risk is dead. But sometimes we're so wrapped up in our comfortable environment. Nobody wants to get out of their nest of comfortability. Nobody wants to face a little risk until we're put to the test and our backs to the wall. We've got nothing else to do. They did have some good reason about them. And those four fellows arose from their places in the gate of Samaria. They started out across there to the camp of Syria. And they got over there. And there wasn't anybody there. It was vacant. Their tents were there. Their horses were there. Uh, their donkeys were there. These guys, their eyes are just dilated with bigness and excitement. What's this all about? Uh, and they walked into one tent. and Man, there's food and their clothes and their silver and gold. Wow, we have struck it rich they ate and they drank and they picked up the gold nuggets and the silver coins and the garments and they went wherever and hid it four leprous men outcasts society didn't want them but they're living in the city They went to the second tent. Man, this is exciting. Garments and food 
and drink and silver and gold. And they just picked it all up and took it and hid it. And there's horses and there's donkeys and nobody's around. Am I dreaming? Don't wake me. Your Bible says God made the Syrians hear a noise. God made the Syrians hear a noise. They heard the rolling of wagon wheels and horses' hooves. And they assumed the king of Israel had hired the Egyptian army and another army to come and help him fight against the Syrians. And they fled on an assumption. Listening to a rumor. Yeah. Oh, Pastor King, do you think those things happen today? I know they happen today. There's no doubt in my mind that they happen today. I believe they happen among the people of God. And we just don't recognize it as God. God made them hear a noise of rolling wagon wheels and pounding horses' hooves. And they fled with everything that was in them. They didn't have time to grab a horse. They didn't have time to grab a donkey. They left their garments in the tents, their gold and silver and their food and drink in the tents, and they took off. Why? Because God was going to give a revival to Samaria. God was going to give a revival to Samaria. God was giving revival to Samaria. And those poor lepers. I said, you know, we're not doing well. This is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. We've got our needs satisfied now. We've got our needs satisfied now. We've got food. We've got drink. We've got clothing. We've got gold. And we've got silver. Most folks would say we're really doing good. But these leprous men, they said, we're not doing well. Why? Because it's a day of good tidings. And we're holding our peace. Let's get up and get out of here and get back in the city and tell the king's household, lest mischief come upon us. Is that where we're at? Have we arrived at that place as a church? We got close to where we've got food to eat. We've got drink. We've got gold and silver. And the city's starving to death. 
spiritual famine. And folks, there's a spiritual famine in America tonight. I said there is a spiritual famine in our beloved country tonight. And our president is not helping the situation. And he thinks he is. He's contributing to the problem. But we've got a famine in America. And along with a famine, our sons and daughters are being aborted. The enemies of unrighteousness are killing our boys and girls. Not literally and yes literally, but spiritually, morally, righteously. Our sons and daughters are being destroyed in America. Suicide, suicide, suicide with our teenagers. Immorality, immorality, immorality. Shootings, shootings, shootings. Look at America. Look at the second or the seventh chapter of Second Kings. It's almost identical in a spiritual relationship. Lepers lepers had some sense we're not doing well this is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace let's get out of here let's get into the city and tell the king's household lest mischief come upon us that word mischief in the Hebrew is A-V-O-N Avon A-V-O-N Avon and it's probably pronounced Avon and you know what it means? perversity that is moral evil those guys got up and went to work and went to the city and told the king what would the story have been if they had never gone? But like America, sit outside the tents and enjoy the food and the drink and the nice garments and the gold and the silver. We're doing well. We're doing well. These are good days. Let them go to hell. Let the city starve to death. Let them die. Why? Because they never cared about me. In my leprous condition, they didn't care about me. Why should I care about them? But that wasn't in their hearts. 
there was a deep sense of thanksgiving in those four lepers that moved them to want to go in and tell their story to a diving or a dying victimized bunch to famine that they might have life because of what was outside the gate if folks would come out and get it and they did and they lived because of four men that didn't dare stay outside the wall without coming back in to tell it. It concerns me because we're not concerned. We're not concerned. Uh-uh. And I just dread going into this Christmas season. I heard Christmas songs today on the radio. Already. Today on the radio. I thought, my, oh my, oh my, we haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. And here they're playing Christmas music on the radio today. I heard it with my own ears. And this season is going to be more commercialized than at any Christmas we've ever had. And you know what I dread about it? Is because the whole thing affects the spirit of this church. I've watched it year after year after year. And we get caught up with that thing. We come in here. We don't pray like we should. It affects the spirit of our services. Some are so busy they can't come through the prayer room and seek God because they're so busy with this season. And I'm preaching tonight. And I'm preaching to deaf ears. I know what I'm talking about. If they'd have sat down on their knees and been satisfied because their needs were supplied, a whole city would have died. But the life of the city was dependent upon four leprous men. I want to close with this while Brother Brown goes to the organ. King David did the same thing. You read in 2 Samuel where the Bible talks about that time of the year when kings go to war. David didn't go. If he would have gone to war like he should have gone to war and like every one of us should be in tonight and every one of us should be in war tonight against evil, against wrong, against apathy, against indifference, against a Laodicean spirit. Every one of us should be at war against these things and not sitting down on our knees doing nothing. David should have gone to war and he had never faced what he faced by staying home. He stayed home while everybody else went to fight. 
And one evening, he walked up on his rooftop and looked out across to another home. And he saw a very beautiful woman bathing herself. And she was naked. Avon. Avon. Perversity. That is moral evil. David looked at her and he lusted for her. The sex drive is one of the biggest drives in your body. Eating is number one. I'm being plain, but we're living in a very plain society. And God expects that thing to be under control to the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. I'm going to tell you again, the only time there's licensure for that is inside the framework of marriage only. And when I say marriage, I'm talking about a husband and a wife. That's the only stamp of approval that our God gives. No other kind. No other kind. None whatsoever. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. He was writing to the singles. And he said, if you can't control yourself, if you can't contain yourself, it's better to marry than to burn. But I would hate to think that you would marry on the premise of lust alone. It won't last. You know why it won't last? Because that one won't satisfy you either. Then it'll have to be another one. And another one. If it's not predicated on L-O-V-E, it won't last. I'm being plain and some of you girls are laughing tonight. And I don't know what's so funny. But this is not funny. We're dealing with a life and death situation in America that's affecting our churches. Let me shock you. And I had fully intended to keep this little secret stored in my heart. A woman that used to come to this church, she's been gone for years now. She just got married the end of October. But before she got married, she gave birth to a child. And she probably thinks that's okay because they do it in Egypt. Egypt says it's all right to have a baby out of wedlock. Avon. Not in battle. David looked 
and he lusted. He sent messengers over to her home to find out who she was and had her come to his palace. You hear me? If he'd have gone to war with the rest of the kings, he would have never fallen into a vone perversity that is moral evil and I'm going to tell you what there's more going on in the Holy Ghost in this house tonight than what some of you are acknowledging there's some of you in this house tonight that ought to be in this in this altar really crying out to God for help because the devil we're fighting is seeking to pull you out of this church and take you right down this same avenue if I know my name at all I know that and the devil is seeking to deceive you and destroy you. David committed adultery with that woman in his home. He sent her home. In the process of a few weeks, she notified him and said, I'm expecting a child, David. I'm pregnant. Avon. If he'd have been at war, it would have never happened. And you look at me, church, and you can say what you want to and criticize me all you want to. But I'm going to tell you what. You can't fight unless you've got a prayer life. When you let up on your prayer life, you're quitting your battle. You're stopping your warfare. You're stopping your fight. And you, you listen to me. The devil's going to get you and drag you right into his trap. And we have fought that around here long enough. And I'm tired of fighting it. Come on. I'm on target tonight. God wants to give us the victory if some folks would dare acknowledge it. Do you know what that sin will also cause you to do? After David found out that Bathsheba was expecting a child, He sent out to the war. Called the captain home. No, called the husband home of this man, a woman. He came. He came to the king's palace. Loyal, faithful, subordinate, yielded to his king yielded to his leader. David said, Uriah, I want you to go home. Be with your wife. He called him from the front lines of the battle. Uriah didn't know what was going on. Innocent, innocent as he could be. He was such a man of integrity. And he refused to go home. And David didn't know it. He slept 
on the king's steps all night long. In the morning, a butler, somebody came and told King David, you know your ride didn't go home last night? He slept here on your steps. He didn't go home. No. I told him to go home and be with his wife. Uh-uh. They called him in. David said, Uriah, I told you to go home. Why didn't you go home? He said, King David, how could I go home to my wife and enjoy the pleasures of her fellowship while Israel's out there fighting? Say what you want to, brethren. But he was a mighty big man. I wonder how many of our men in this local church, and I wish they were all here tonight, I wonder how many of our men, when the captain of your work crew would walk up to you and say, hey, why don't you go home and be with your wife today instead of working on the church? I wonder how many would say, hey, thanks, that's a great idea, I'm going to go home. How many would say, oh no. No, no, Captain Rivera. No, no, Captain Peoples. No, no, Captain Monroe. No, no, Captain Burton. Uh-uh. I'm here to work on the house of God. I'm not going to let my brethren down. I'm not going to let my brethren down. There's no way I'm going home. I'm going to stay right here until we're done with this today. That's integrity, folks. That is high ethics. But you know what? Some of you fellas don't care. And we're struggling. And God has allowed it for a purpose to see what our attitudes are going to be. David wined and dined Uriah and David had written out a note and put it in an envelope and gave it to Uriah and said, take it to your captain. And like a faithful messenger who wouldn't read the mail, he carried his own death certificate and didn't know what was in the envelope. He didn't stop by somewhere to Steam, steam it so he could open it and read somebody else's mail. This mail was to go to Captain Joab. But it was Uriah's death certificate. And he carried it like a faithful, loyal man of integrity and took it out to his captain. And Captain Joab opened the sealed envelope and read David's commandment concerning Uriah. Take Uriah, put him in the heat of the battle so that he'll die. I want him dead. 
I don't know folks but there's destiny in this house tonight I feel the fear of God in my heart tonight in this place the captain figured out the hottest spot of the battle and in obedience to his king David he put Uriah right there Uriah was killed but so were some other men because you don't just influence one you always influence somebody else and so what started out just as a lustful look wound up being avon perversity that is moral evil. Adultery. An unexpected child. And a murder. This sex thing in our society is a killer. It is a killer. We do not well. This is a day of good tidings. We ought to be at war. Amen. We ought to be fighting sin. We ought to be fighting unrighteousness. Not joining with it. Fighting against it. Standing up against it. Whether you're the only one on your job that takes a stand for truth and right. Or there's five of you on there. God's looking to you to fight. 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 Get in the battle. If you lose your life. Fight. Come on church. I'm preaching truth to you tonight. Sing it, Brother Brown. Let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Let's call upon the name of the Lord tonight. Hey, we need a victory. We need a victory. We need a Holy Ghost victory in this house.